Lord, you're the designer of everything around us. And as designer, Lord, you knew how all things would function. You made them to operate that way. And Lord, you, in your wonder, gave us dominion over it all, to manage it and maintain a paradise. But, oh, Lord, we've gone far from a paradise, but you tell us now that you're going to guide us back to repairing things. Lord, help us now this morning to see how that's going to occur. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In Ezekiel 36, starting with verse 26, we see that when God gives his people in the last days a new heart and a new spirit, things begin to happen. Their lands begin to become productive. And the Lord says, I don't do this for your sakes. He says, I do this because I want you to be an example to the world. And then as you continue on in 36, we come to the point where God's people make their places as Eden, full of pleasure and delight, delicately balanced the way he originally designed it. And then the next verse tells us that it draws in the heathen who come when they see it and say, what have you done? How have you done this? And then we introduce them to our God. When I first uh, worked at Wachita Hills Academy, I was asked this question over and over again. How is education, the A, B, and C, how is agriculture, the A, B, and C of education? And my answer was, I don't know. And so you have to begin to think, how is it? And, I, and I, as I began to see what, what agriculture required of us, from the pre preparation of the soil all the way to the very harvest and the saving of the seed for the next generation, I saw that every stage of the way we were serving these plants. And then I realized, well, our God is a servant. Jesus said, I have come not to be ministered unto, not to be served, but to be a servant, to minister unto others. And so we see agriculture, the very foundational lesson of it is that it teaches us to serve, teaches us that our entire life is to be that of a servant. So as I contemplated this, I thought, you know, well, God's life is a care, uh, God's character is that of a servant. As I started looking at nature and seeing the operations, how things function, for instance, in, in, the, uh, in God's garden, where we don't have anything to do with it, the pristine prairies that supported 120 million bison and great herds of antelope and elk and, and vast prairie dog colonies and everything else that lived there, who was fertilizing it? Who was watering it? Who was reseeding it? Who was tilling it? And so you look at the forest, you look at the scrublands, you look at all these different areas that God is the gardener over, the farmer over. And I, with the, coupled to that statement that God's character is seen in nature, I began knowing now that he was a servant I looked at the function of everything in nature. All living things operate. From the time they're 
born to the time they die, they're in operation. They are doing something. I saw that all they're doing was service to everything around them in their sphere of influence. Everything was serving food, habitat, or aiding in reproduction. I began to realize there was not a function of anything, microbe, insect, plants, larger animals. There was not one function, not one operation, not one behavior that they did that was not serving something else. I thought that was quite interesting in that I had had the waters so muddied with the science that I had been taught in schools that I had been totally blind to this all my life. But I looked at everything. I started looking at everything I put my eyes on. I saw that their activities were activities of service. And so we begin to realize that the fertilization of the God's garden is conducted by the microbes, whether it be the bacteria that take the nitrogen out of the air, it's 78% nitrogen, and make all the nitrogenous fertilizers that are necessary, or the mycorrhizal fungi that send out their uh, hyphae and go, and these little roots, and have the power to break down the strongest chemical bonds, triple calcium phosphate bonds and just make available those nutrients and then carry them right in, in some cases, in through the cell wall into the plant or into the rhizosphere, the root area of the plant, or the microbes sitting on the leaf that are taking all these nutrients out of the air and making them available to the plant, and all these yeasts on the leaf producing all the B vitamins we could ever need, including B12. All feeding the plant. In California, they used to sell B12, I mean, not B12, but B vitamins by the gallon jug for the gardeners because they knew how important it was. And so these leaf surfaces are full of these yeast that produce all of this. So God was designing them to serve. And then I learned that the plant exudes onto its leaf surface carbohydrates to give them the energy to do all this work. It feeds them, not only feeds us, but feeds them. And same thing in, in the root zone. Healthy plants can, can exude up to 70 or 80% of their production into the root zones around the plant to feed these creatures that are feeding them the fertilizers that they need. So we see in God's system, it's all a relationship of service, each one serving the others. And then you go up to the, to the higher creatures and you see that the Plants that are being fed to the foragers all over the planet are being fed by the foragers. The foragers are with their hoof design, all God's, all God's design, with their hoof design are aerating the soil every single time they step. Not only that, their wet snout and the chime that they exude as they're chewing the cud this material all has growth hormones in it. So every time they take a swipe and they, they, they wet that little piece of forage with these exudates and it increases growth by 50% because of the growth hormones that are designed into it. And so we see everything in nature, every act that's going on, all the creatures are serving 
one another. And I found it interesting that the, uh, the Environmental Protection Act required that all the animals, if you're ever wondering why you have mountain lion, bear, uh, wolves in your backyard, even in the city that I live in, you know, I actually live in a city on the edge of it where it's, you know, wild, and that's where I have my farm. Uh, we have wolves, mountain lion, bear, and I'm talking in Connecticut with a high population. They were all put back. The Environmental Protection Act required that they be put back. So they've been put back everywhere. That's why they're all over the place now. So when they put them back into Yellowstone, they had been absent for 70 years. And although they tried to manage the herds there over those 70 years, the grasslands of Yellowstone were desertizing. The forests were decreasing in production. Everything was declining, but when they put the wolves back, things changed. Within a very short time, things began, to, the grasslands began, began to flourish. The forests began to, they increased their growth five times in six years. And so what was happening now is the wolves were, had a role to play, an act of service. And that act of service was to herd these animals over the, over the landscape, keep them out of the woods where they would, wouldn't want to go because they could be easily ambushed by the wolves and out in the open areas. And every time the wolves needed a meal, they'd have to run them with that hoof action, aerating the soil. And not only that, because they kept in herds now, because the wolves were there, they would just eat the best and trample the rest, which would cause an increase in humus production now. And so farmers have, rec our, our cattlemen and, and, and people with animals have recognized this now, and that's why they have these paddocks now, and they just, they just move them through them quickly to simulate how nature operates. And they're increasing the humus production of their land. They're increasing the water intake into the, into the soil as a result of that. They're rebuilding paradise again. You know, as I was uh, contemplating um, epigenetics, Recently, God in his mercy has given to us an understanding of this predestination question. I've heard it in my 35 or 40 years of a Seventh-day Adventist, you know, we're predestined to what, and there's always arguments, theological, this, that, and the other. Well, Paul was only making reference to Exodus 20, verse 5 and 6. We found out with the Overcalix Sweden studies on longevity that the diet that people have resulted in to the third and fourth generation the health of the children that came as a result of the eating conditions. This village was isolated and when it had an abundance of food to the third and fourth generation there was ill health, heart disease, other types of health problems. But when it was a lean year and there was just enough grain so the animals didn't get it and they weren't eating the fatted calf, um, now there was healthfulness passed down to three or four generations. And even the Time uh, magazine article had it, had it entitled the article, The Sins of Our Fathers, making reference to Exodus 20, verse 5. And so we see that God has designed into things uh, behavior that is going to be passed down. And so these were some of the first studies on, on epigenetics. And uh, as they began to question more what, well, let me tell you a little bit about what epigenetics is. At the 2000 camp meeting, 
Dr. Sangley was giving a report on the human genome project, and, and it was very interesting because he showed us that we all had a Sabbath-keeping gene. And uh, this Sabbath-keeping gene, well, caused us to be invigorated when the Sabbath was over all through the week. It was an upside-down U graph, and then on Friday it would plummet and turn off, and we would not be invigorated to think and to do things, but we would be at rest for the 24 hours of the Sabbath. And so, but he made this comment. He said 95% of the genetic material they studied is junk genes. Well, probably while it was coming out of his mouth, they were discovering what most of that genetic material was, and they found that over 50% of the gene was switches, and they were on top of the gene, so they call them epigenetic, meaning on top of the gene. So these switches on top of the gene would turn on and off behavior, how creatures operated, how they functioned, God's design, he designed in all these switches. And then he gave us management of the planet, Genesis 1:28, and made everything in it, every living creature, subject to either our keeping, Genesis 2:15, the earth as a paradise, or degenerating it, as Paul says in Romans 8, 23. And so these switches were on there. We were given the responsibility to maintain a paradise. And when we altered the soil conditions so that poor quality food was grown, we started flicking these switches to new genetic expressions. Sickness and disease began to take place. These microbes that were beneficial, we call them beneficial when they're soil microbes, we call them probiotic when they're beneficial inside us. These probiotic beneficial microbes have switches. They call this in microbiology that they are facultative. They can switch their behavior. So these fertilizer-producing microbes, when we damage the soil structure and when we don't manage it the way it should, they flick these switches and they begin to produce toxic materials. It's a very simple thing to comprehend because the soil should be aerated by the hoof action and by the increase in the humus materials to loosen it up when managed properly. So if it becomes compacted, you have a deficiency of oxygen. And if you try to manufacture fertilizers with low levels of oxygen, you don't have enough of that product that's supposed to put in there, you're going to come out with a faulty product. Well, that faulty product is the production of stress. It produces stress on the plant. These methanes and butanes and ethanes and things that, are, that, that develop from the microbial action of their decay of the organic matter in the absence of oxygen cause stress on the plant because the, the decay is not into fertilizers. So our management of the soil and keeping it aerated so it's... And, and, 
eliminating the compaction is all a responsibility. You know, Genesis 2.5, we were given the responsibility to till the ground, to manage it, and then to Genesis 2.15, to manage the garden. And so we have the power to alter creation as to whether or not it's manifesting the Edenic behavior God gave us or this degenerative condition that we see today. And so um, this is why um, God says that in Romans 8 that when we come to him and let him be our daddy, Romans 8, 14, and we become his adopted children, we now have a daddy who can tell us what to do. He can tell us how to manage our grounds, how to manage that ground that we have been given responsibility of, to bring it back to these Edenic conditions again. And the power that's going to result upon us doing this is going to start turning the epigenetic switches back towards Edenic behavior. On my property, when I want to clear multiflora rose, I am always bloodied in the end because that is such a thorny, vicious material. No matter how much I cover, I'm always scratched up somewhere. And um, yet there are multiflora rose on my property that I have noticed within the last few years that have no thorns. I found my first one, and so I saved it. And I'm beginning to find others here and there, smaller ones. So I'm clearing around them, allowing them to come. And, but I realize I must manage the ground because when I see them come young up in the field, there's a lot of thorns on them. So there's a condition that I have to maintain on my property if I want them to stay thornless. I want to keep these switches turned off. And by the way, these, this changing in things, we have been lied to and told that evolution, the change of things, is a slow, long process. That's a bunch of foolishness. A cockroach with eyes, running around, looking at everything. When, move, when it moves into a lava tube where there's no light, within three generations, and how long does it take to a, for a cockroach to reproduce? What, two weeks? A month? So within three generations, three months, it flicks off the switch for eye production. And they have no eyes. Why waste energy making eyes when you're not using them? Besides, the light is in, as an indicator as to how, whether the eyes are needed. And the cells receive the light. By the way, the switches that are epigenetic that turn and change the conditions of creation are the eight laws of health. This is what was discovered recently. The first discovery was that food had an impact to flick the switches. The second discovery was that parenting had an impact. And that's why it says in Romans 8, we have to come back to our daddy. Because you see, when we come back to our daddy, this is what they learned in the parenting situation when they had rats. And the rat's <clears throat> mother did not lick the pups. Fed them so they lived, but did not lick them. They were skittish. 
They were insecure, they would hide. The ones that had been licked were bold and inquisitive and adventuresome. And you know, many of us have not had parents that cared. And we feel insecure. We feel alone in this world. But when we come to our daddy in heaven, who protects us, provides for us, comforts us, the epigenetic switch that was turned on for these feelings of loneliness, these feelings of insecurity get flicked off and the switch gets flicked on as it should be for the security that we now feel. We become bold in Christ Jesus. We become a new person. We're changed. And so these switches are quick. You can see that can happen in a person's life very quickly. And just to give you a a picture of this on a broader sense, the Russians raised foxes for fur, and they didn't like how scrappy they were, you know, rough to handle. And uh, um, so they selected for one trait, docility. And within 15 years, the pointed ears flopped over like dogs. The coat hairs changed to like dogs. The patterning changed to like dogs. Within 15 years, they were turning them into dogs. It does not take long for evolution, if we want to use that term, that changing of things, flicking the switches on and off. We were given dominion of this earth, and everything is in subjection to us. And God gave us a paradise with all the the switches flicked on for pleasure and delight and peace. As our song was this morning in Jeremiah 29, 11, I have given you peace Those are my thoughts towards you, and not of evil, not parasitism, predation, and uh, thorns and thistles and competition for mates and food and shelter, weeds. These things God did not want us to know. But Satan deceived Eve and said, oh, he's holding out on you. He doesn't want you to know what evil is. Look at all the pleasure and delight all around you. He's holding out on more. Go try the tree of knowledge. Come to know what evil is. And so she tried it. And so now we know what evil is. But God in his mercy has shown us now how to flick these evil switches off. Microbes that are producing stressing materials. Now we know if we aerate the soil and reduce that compaction, they'll now get the air they need. And being facultative, having the ability to have the switches flicked, will flick Flick back on to begin to produce fertilizers. Fertilizers that are so well balanced, there's no disease. We're told in Commentary 7a on Leviticus 25 that we, God's people, are to make our lands, learn to grow fruit, this is the quarter, learn to grow fruit free from disease that we may teach all the world how to do this. This is why it says in Ezekiel, the heathen will come seeking out after us. This is what God wants us to do. Remake our places back like Eden again. Understand that all that the activities going on around us are all acts of service. And now you may wonder in your mind, evil behavior, acts of service. As I began to write on this evil behavior, I found every evil in nature, thorns, thistles, the weeds that overcome our crops, the competition for mates, the predation, the parasitism, 
all of them are redemptive. They repair the damage that turn the epigenetic switches on for that behavior and start bringing it back to paradise. In our case, since we're damaging it so fast, they are breaks that hold us back from the brink of extinction of those species. So even in the evil, the judgments of God, the curses of God, we see his love, his redemptive work to redeem the paradise that he gave us. So we have a very important responsibility here. This agricultural conference that we have, this trying to spread the knowledge that we should all be on the land is the call to every Adventist. We are to be the keepers of the land and to show the people how to keep the land. And I don't know if you know, but that word keep is the, in Genesis 2.15, we were to keep the garden. That is the derivation of the word priest. We are called to be priests and to make our lands as Eden again, turning those switches back on. And you can see this is not a hard or a difficult thing. It's just something we have not cared to do. We have not grasped the significance of the eight laws of health. Now, I only mentioned nutrition and I mentioned parenting. The third thing they found that flicked the switches was chemicals, you know, the abstinence from toxic materials that we have as our eight laws of health. And then I called a friend. I said, you know, I told him these look like three of the eight laws of health here. I said, so he started looking, called me back two hours later. Exercise, sunshine, he found, turned on and off epigenetic switches. These are studies that were, then a year later, we found out rest turned on and off epigenetic switches. So our gardens, our lands, every single creature is impacted by the eight laws of health. This is why God gave them to us. This is why they're so important. And this is why Jesus hasn't come. We haven't grasped their significance and we have not adapted them. Many have into their own personal life, but we haven't realized the impact they have on creation to make it as Eden again. And when we realize that and when we start seeking to understand the impact, how, how does exercise influence my plants? Well, potassium uptake. It hardens the stem. You grow them in the greenhouse and they're not exercised by the winds, they'll snap off if you bring them outside. You've got to give them a little wind for a week or so. The potassium will come up, strengthen the stems, and now you can put them out because they're hardened off. All these eight laws of health all have their impact on every single thing in creation. That epigenetic switch just needed to be flicked on with a little bit of breeze so it could pick up take up the potassium. So there's a lot we need to understand and we need to be the ones who explain to the world how we are turning back on these switches and making Edenic conditions around us on the lands that we are managing. When we start doing this, the world will come to seek us out. We won't have to be going out to evangelize. Our very lands will be the evangelistic bright lights that the world will come seeking to learn about. And those who have a heart to know what is good and what is right will come to us. We won't have to go to them. So let us pray now that God, who has given us this understanding of creation and how it operates and and the importance of the eight laws of health will now open our eyes because I had been blinded 
from the education that I received to not see God's character, to not see all these acts of service in nature. Let's pray now that he opens our eyes, that we can see them all about us and begin to establish again the Edenic conditions on our property that will draw the world to us. Lord, you have given us the ISAV. The ISAV that your people need, the Laodicean church in these last days. Lord, as you promised that it would work, let it work in our eyes now to see how your creation operates. And the role, Lord, that you have given us as dominion, the dominators of earth, Lord, and that all things are subject to how we care for them. Lord, let us be the true priests. Let us keep the earth the way you designed it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.